Hi, everyone. This is Andrea Gould-Marks, together with Bibi Peters, and this is Boom Talk Media, where we talk about the human journey with insights based in psychology. We are continuing our theme of examining life's pathways, and we're calling this episode The Faithful Path. And that title comes directly from the conversation we've had with a woman named Darrell, whose orientation is surely one of spirit and faith. You will hear how this conversation with Darrell illustrates how faith has worked its way into the unfolding of her life. It's very special when we talk to people who've lived a good couple of decades, maybe even seven or eight, because of how they interpret their path at this time in their life. Yes, Bibi, because it's in looking back on our life that helps us to see the meaning more clearly. Often it's really hard to see the meaning of life events while they're happening, and we do need to make meaning because finding purpose keeps our life on track. And our younger audience finds it especially reassuring to hear life stories unfold in retrospect. It's impossible to hold a long-range perspective as we're experiencing something in the present. Yes, that is true. Let's listen into that conversation with Darrell. Why don't we start with with the here and now? This is always Bibi's favorite question. How are you now? Where, yeah. Right. What is your place in life? What is your stand? What is, where, where are you now relative to your life's path? What's happening in your life? Well, I woke up one day and realized that I'm what they call an older person. And I never saw myself as an older person. I don't feel as an older person, but based on the things that are occurring in my life, I have to face up to the fact that I am now an older person. And I refuse to say old lady. (laughs) And that means that um, my living scenario is what it is today. It could change. And I need to prepare for today and for whatever the changes might be. And I'm in a transitional living situation. So it's more prevalent to me that it might be for other people. Uh, Additionally, I had in my mind that I was going to create something that would, um, that fit my rule of life, that would sustain me for the rest of my life. And for whatever reason, I will start things and I don't have the passion to complete them, which tells me that maybe the path for that is not as it should be right now, or is not going to be what I thought it might be. In terms of other things in my life that I do not have control over, it might be health issues that affect where I am now, which help to make those things that I mentioned earlier uh, more prevalent and more real for me because they have interfered with the path that I thought I was on and also with my living situation. So that's where I am now. Yeah. And coming to grips, coming to grips with that. Could you just clarify or maybe speak a little bit more to what your rule of life is? 
okay, um, when you sent me a diagram of paths, the one I honed in on is spiritual because I am a spiritual person. Um, I have always been a spiritual person. I've gone through different degrees with spirituality. But when I was younger, I, I was an Episcopalian and I am now, but in the interim, I had some other diversions uh, of faith. But as an Episcopalian in Chicago, I participated in a retreat, which was, it's called Crisio. And what it did was to help you understand what it means to be a Christian. It's mm -hmm. embracing the moment mm -hmm. and finding the, the joy and purpose in the moment enough to be able to, if you can want to use the word accept it, but embracing, I like better because it's, it's more, um, it's more fluid. You and, know, more inclusive. The, and more inclusive. Yeah, right. And right, more right. action oriented. <laughs> yeah, and more participation it. oriented. Yeah. Right. Not stagnant at all. A, right. right. Not an observer only, but a participant. This is learned behaviors, okay, <laughs> over time that has brought me to where I am right now. Let's hear it for learning. Okay. Right? I mean, that's one of the inner dynamics that enable us to move through life. If we don't learn, we don't, we don't move through life, right? We're Learning victims. is not stagnant either. It's not just here. You know that if it doesn't get to here, then it's, well, you know, inconsequential. Right. Pointing to your hearts. Yes. <laughs> right. Pointing to our hearts. Well, our whole bodies are in this game. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not just yeah. heads. We're body, mind, and soul, and spirit. That's right. That's right. So when you reflect back on the decades, because as somebody who is mature, you've got decades to reflect mm -hmm. back on. If you were to think about three, if you will, major experiences, major turning points, major crossroads or thresholds you've crossed, what would you pick? And it doesn't have to be in order. <laughs> One are the summation of something. <laughs> well, I think I it would be, yeah, it could be the summation of something. It, it's coming to, um, yeah, that's what a threshold is, right? So when I'm going to, yeah, I yeah. have two major ones and both involve, involve men. And that might be very relevant for people who are female like us. The first is the first husband. I divorced, but I was the mother of two small children when I did that. My children were one and two years old when I divorced. I not only divorced, but I came, I was living in Portland, Oregon, and I moved back to Chicago. And I became a female divorced single parent entrepreneur. And I was that girl for 22 years. So that whole situation created uh, a set of circumstances that formed who I am. Um, that was the first one. Um, so I have a question. Are you comfortable talking about now, you've described that you had two children, ages one and two. You then became a single mom. Mm -hmm. um, so the divorce, was it your choice? And are you comfortable talking about the circumstances that led up to it? Because that was a big decision that you made. It wasn't big. It was simple as far as I was concerned. <laughs> he was a great guy, but he 
he became an alcoholic. He was already one because you know if you have the gene and you, he became an alcoholic that never exhibited major alcoholism. He wasn't someone that drank every day or any of that. He was a guy that if he had alcohol, it, he, he would booze for two weeks and it was insane. The behaviors changed. He would do it once a year and then it grew to twice a year. And then he became an owner of a state controlled liquor store. And then that became the problem because that fueled a scenario that I wasn't willing to live with. And more importantly, I wasn't willing to expose my children to. And the other thing, and this might be helpful to people who list, who think about paths. And you know, when we think about paths, we think we control everything. Honey child, we don't control everything. We just think we do. And so the other thing that was significant was that he didn't marry Darrell. He married a teacher. You know, he was not a college graduate. He married a teacher. He married what he thought I was, but not who I am. And I had to learn and understand that. I didn't understand. I just thought you fall in love, you get married, you, you know, all this stuff. But uh, the, the divorce taught me a lot about myself, taught me more about men than I knew. And so, you know, it was what it had to be. <laughs> the line that got crossed where you said no more, he was he was okay taking care of the kids. He was a good man. But there was a fiber inside of you that said that something about I will not be annihilated. I, I am more than he sees me to be. What was that line? None of that. None of that. I was too, <laughs> I was younger. And uh, the thing that did it for me was when alcoholics are going through the binge or whatever, it reflects something about them, a character flaw that they have. Okay. And the character flaw that he had was he wasn't enough. And I was the problem because he couldn't measure up to what he thought was enough. I didn't think like that. He felt like that. And once I realized that, I knew this will be going on for a lifetime. I'm not the shrink that can help him. He's not getting ready to go get help. I don't want to deal this. And then when I had one child in my arm and the other child pulling on my skirt and saying, why is daddy lying in the floor? I said, oh, no, not me, not them. I'm out of here. Right. So it was the combination of realizing, and I don't know, maybe this is part of the spiritual path that God laid out before me. This is not what I want for you and your life. The right. fact that with the internal voice, let me know, I don't want this was not just me saying I don't want this. It was me understanding this is not for you or what I want for them in your life. Right. Big decision. Right, right. But, but you had to know yourself well enough mm -hmm. to know. I mean, to know a couple of things. You were wise to the fact that this is not changing. You what knew. age were you at that point? I was 20, 30. I was 30. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was 30. Okay. Yeah. So the, this, this benchmark of getting married and having children we learned from it, we stayed with it, we let it go, right? But that ushered it ushered in, as you described, this um, period of being single mm -hmm. that shaped you um, and the entrepreneurship that that shaped your life. 
um, based on your personality and your skills and your education mm-hmm. and your ability mm-hmm. to do. So talk a little bit about that, if you will. How I became an entrepreneur, why I became an entrepreneur. All that, well, yeah. Okay, so I was an educator. I had a, I was a college professor in Oregon, and um, I did I I ended up running the state technical assistance and training office for Head Start, which meant I had a whole region. But in, when I got this job at the university, it was on a contractual level for six months, and they told me if I wanted to stick around, I had to raise some money. This is when I started learning how to raise money, and so I ended up quadrupling or more the contract and then creating a whole system within the structure of the state for training early childhood educators. So did a whole competency-based program. That's one of the things I am proud of, but I don't even know if they're still using it. But anyway, then I left and came to Chicago and my hometown and be, and lived with my dad. And he, because intentionally, because I knew he could be there for my kids. And I wanted them to grow up with a male person, which probably made my transition a lot easier than some. And I've always been blessed with being middle class. It wasn't a big struggle. You know, when you say single parent, everybody, woe is her. Um, But that wasn't my life. I can't even act like that was my life. And because of relationships hometown, someone told me that there was a job opening at the Urban League. They were doing a training center. So I started there. And believe it or not, once again, they said, hey, you can have this job, but you got to raise money to do, retire the debt. So I started raising money. But raising money at the Urban League was a gift from God because I then have access to the business community, the corporate community, and they're separate, um, the nonprofit community, the, the minister ministerial alliance, the union. I knew everybody. I had their phone numbers. I had access. And so I went from there to being uh, the first, uh, the a guy who was a senator who ran for that. This is part of the path because I didn't create this. These things came to me. Um, he was a, a state senator and he was running for Congress and he was in Congress for a year. Then he became the first African-American mayor. And my first, my second husband interviewed me for that job. That was many, many moons before we got married, but we developed a very close friendship as a result of that encounter. And they really wanted me because what did I say? I knew everybody. I had access to everybody. And if you really want to be a high level fundraiser, that's how you, that's how it's, that's the magic. So um, I had a very wonderful career in life in Chicago. And the important part of me sharing this is not to touting me on my back, but to say, the path was laid before me. I did not seek the path. I did not expire to have this path. It was the path laid before me. And I just followed the path. And the path was laid before you through a course of circumstances. And people, people and circumstances. People first being there, someone say, oh, there's a job at the Urban League Apply. Secondly, the Urban League prepared me for the next path, which was a political path. Uh, The guy who was doing what they asked me to do, I met at the Urban League. He happened to have a nervous breakdown. He says, I know one person you might want to have, and she just might be available, and he said me. And so that's how I did ended that. And then that path led to my husband. You know, I didn't wasn't trying, and he did want to date me. I wouldn't date him. He thinks I didn't want to date him. (laughs) because he needed to have his teeth worked on. We always talk and laugh about this, but it was really because he was really controlling 
and you know, I am too independent to be controlled. So I said, this would not be a good relationship. So I just opted for friendship with him <laughs> at the time. So just want to go back to the, the, um, the work in Oregon and the fundraising opportunity mm -hmm. that those seeds of you seeing your competence in being able to do that, that, that was helpful that you carried that in your backpack into the next life in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And that's so, you know, Barbara and I talk a lot about we shape the path and the path shapes us. There's almost like the, the infinity of it. There's no, I mean, there might be a beginning, but then once it starts getting shaped, it does take on, as you're describing, a life of its own. In your case, a life that was so clear, you know, that, that was such a gift for that to be a clear path. With I don't think I saw it. I don't think I saw it as clear. I just saw it as next steps. And I'm saying that, that I see it as clear now. I didn't see it as clear then just to make that distinction. You know, now you have an option to follow the natural path or interfere with it. I'm sure there are consequences of both. Mm -hmm. But you said you followed what was natural. What well, was, it was set before me. I'm using intentional language spiritual language yes. right right yes right and and we have a part of our writing that's called gifts guidance and grace uh -huh. mm -hmm. and it sounds like you're describing like all three wrapped in one that it's set before you intentionally uh let me say this the beauty of this conversation is and it's important that i say it I did not have the wherewithal at the time to even use the language I'm using today. No, of course As you not. asked me to revisit these paths, I can use the, the acquired experience and language to express what was going on at that time. Absolutely. And that's why yeah. we're so lucky to have retrospect. Yeah, yeah. This program is part of a series that will be the foundation for our newest book with the working title, The Book of Pathways, Moments of Choice, Moments of Change. We can't wait to unveil it to you later this year. If you're looking online for a furry new family member, chances are good that you'll find a scam. Here are three tips to help avoid pet scams. First, don't trust the photo. Criminals set up fake websites that look legitimate but are really pictures they copied from the internet. Next, don't trust anyone who offers you a pet at a steep discount. Finally, before spending any money, make sure you can meet your new pet in person. Find out more tips on staying safe from scams at aarp.org slash fraudwatch. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Boom Talk Media. This is Andrea Goldmarks with my co-host, B.B. Peters. Now, let's rejoin the podcast. Okay, but here's what uh, everyone wants to know, I think, or I know, and that is, how long before the friendship, like how long were you friends with your second husband before you said yes, and what made you say yes? 
Well, number one, it was 22 years. And in the course of those 22 years, we remained friends. I called him my garbage can friend. We get together for dinner once or twice a year. I tell him what was going on in my life. He tell me what was going on in his. We have wonderful meals. Put the lid on the garbage can and go our separate ways. But never not friends. He was friends with my kids. He traveled internationally. He always brought my kids stuff. He had a second marriage. He married someone else. Big mistake. And, and so, <laughs> but you know, we still remain friends. I tried to befriend her. She couldn't handle it. Oh well. <laughs> so you know, there was an evolution. Uh, and you know, I we were good. Both good people. Both liked each other. But. Like I said, here again, he was just too controlling. He was running the earth. <laughs> okay, so going back, you were single for 22 years, mm-hmm. and but you knew your second husband basically all that time. Mm-hmm. And what, so like one day you're sitting down at a dinner table or somewhere and the two of you say, why don't we get married? Like, oh, how, no. how does that happen? No, 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 right. no, no, no. How did that happen? So two things happened. Number one, Number one, he wasn't well. He wasn't taking care of himself. He was gaining weight. We would always end our meal, not with dessert, but grandma and tea. And so I, and he was telling me he needed to walk and he was too busy. I said, well, tonight, instead of grandma and tea, let's go for a walk. And he knew I walked at four in the morning. He says, you're going to walk with me now. You've been up since four. I said, we're going to walk. <laughs> and so we went to Navy Pier in Chicago to walk and he could barely get from one bench to the other. And it scared the living bejeejees out of me. And I saw that and I said, oh, let's sit down and talk and look at the stars. Cause I didn't, you know, I didn't, I realized he was winded. He didn't, he needed to walk. So being my friend, I said, we need to do this every night. He says, you do this every night. I said, absolutely. Cause that's the kind of friend I am. So we started walking every night and fell in love walking. It's that simple. Oh, <laughs> and how long were you married to him? Oh, Jarell? this is the sad part of the story. Yes. You have to go yeah. here. Well, so, you said that was there were two yeah. major yeah. paths in your so, life. And- so he retired me and we were married five years and then he died. And we moved here this second year of our marriage. To Tucson? We came here to play golf you know, relax, retire, you know, and his plan was to retire and he was working on that. So. Right. Okay. So let's be here for a moment because it's that exact, we could go into all of the emotions to mm-hmm. it, but like you said, it landed you here without connection. There you go. Uh-huh. <laughs> and there was a certain amount of after a while discontent about you know, not, not being connected. So what did you do? It was never discontent about not being connected. What it was, was disaster, trauma, um, insanity, um, demonic forces, uh, that, that happened immediately following my husband's death, things that I had never experienced in before. I have had a charmed life. And post my husband's death, I had total insanity, total insanity. And you have no control. There's nothing you did to cause it. It just 
happened. And the byproduct of that was that every single thing that my husband had intended to provide for me had a stench on it and it never materialized as planned. Every single asset, not one, not two, all. And um, I even ended up in a lawsuit with his, the organization that he founded. And at the last day of the lawsuit, and this is an important part of this path and decision-making, um, I was doing a, a Bible thing with some people. And I was reading the various verses while the lawyers were deliberating because we didn't want to go, you know, we just wanted to end the insanity. And, um, and the lawyer came in once with one thing and he came in enough with another. And it was like the voices in this and it was ridiculous portion of the settlement, less about 20% of what was intended. And I just said, this has to end because basically the spirit was leading me to say enough, enough. You can spend all your money trying to fight something that's not going to get any better enough. And uh, my husband's dying wish was that my lifestyle not change. And so my intention became live the money he provided so your lifestyle doesn't change as long as you can. And that was a decision I made that went along the path that was set before me. And so I'm using language again, decisions and path. All the other paths I talked about, I walked into, they were set before me. Now you might say, why wasn't this one set before me? I say, because there was so much mess on top of it. My goal too was get out of this mess so I can be me again. Because the mess was, I think, a, like a used terminology, a demonic force that, because I never experienced anything like this in my entire existence. And all of a sudden I have this insanity coming at me. So, uh, that, so that- you opted to end the insanity. Oh, that was the first oh, yeah. decision. Oh yeah. Right. Knowing yourself well, well enough to say, yeah. this must end. There's a lot of uh, surrender there when you talk about uh, the paths that are that have been presented to you. Mm -hmm. You have to be accepting of those paths. You have to be mm -hmm. aware that they are being presented to you. And it's mm -hmm. really surrendering your mm -hmm. uh, thoughts or mm -hmm. your uh, life to a higher being. And you're allowing that faith to guide you in how you mm -hmm. lead your life yeah that's true that's very true that's the heart of the matter for you well there are two parts to it one is the internal how i respond to life spiritual thing and another is here we spiritual related to where i told you the three stools the relationship, the word of the Lord, and then the action in the world. I made a decision. Me, I made this decision. This is not a path thing, but it defined how I emerged. Um, that I didn't want to work for anyone. I wanted to do something in the kingdom of God that would be meaningful. And I initially, I did start organizing it like a business. And then I realized, something, this ain't work. This, this doesn't fit. <laughs> So, but alongside of that, I was always busy being busy doing stuff. So, 
but what you were saying is that you put your energy into something that would be spiritual, would be right. a container right. for your thoughts right. and your feelings and your your ingenuity and everything you know. And That's I think right. you were referring back to that when you said at the beginning of our talk that sometimes we have intention and for myriad reasons that doesn't come to fruition. It doesn't come to blossom because there right. are so many things that transpire simultaneously or get in the way or that force you to undergo or make a departure. Correct. Very correct. That is true. So Stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be very adaptable. <laughs> right. So you want to talk a little bit about what happened? Not about that, because that's another segment. Yeah. But what I can say is this. My husband died in 2004, so it's been a long time ago. So I did start coming up with things to move forward on. One, what, like I said, was I thought it would be a business because that's what I knew how to do. And then that emerged into something that I said, I shifted it, the focus of it to be more ministry oriented. So one was, it's a simple thing. The other thing was worship is a simple thing at all. Oh, that's a whole evolving process. And I, I'm really good at administration. So I did all the stuff. I mean, I got, you know, all the stuff you do, you have businesses. So it's really the structure is there. I could move forward. And through this current path that I'm on and pre-COVID, COVID, and where I am now, it became in, in my health issues and my living situation, it became very clear that no more. I didn't need to do that. I needed to pass it on to somebody else. I'm in a pass that stuff on to somebody else stage that started when I started living with my daughter, uh, which was last April, because I had no passion to move forward with it. And, and then as my eyes, uh, health issues were the main focus of everything. I realized that I started having some limitations to being able to do things. And you know, as being entrepreneurs, you don't have pauses in work. You have to keep working at something to get it from where it is to where it needs to go. And with my eyes and the stuff I was, there was no, I, you know, I wasn't, I couldn't get the rhythm of it together because I couldn't keep working on it. So you have to go, duh, you can't keep doing this because you can't do it. And you have to come to the realization that it's either pause or stop yeah. or where's it going? And you look up at, and say, Lord, Lord, what, what now? You know, cause you didn't plan for any of this. You plan to always be able to do what has to be done. And that created the path that I'm on now. And uh, so there was a part of accepting Andrea that I couldn't do what I always thought I'd be able to do. And not wanting to be idle because I never am and wanting to have meaningful things that I'm, I'm a contributor. I have to show up, you know, so, and, and, and so I just decided to show up path set be for me again, nothing I created because I would 
do national campaigns. Uh, I worked for Barack when, on his second campaign. I was on a list. And so Mark Kelly had all of the lists that Barack had. All the people who are in main camp, they get the list. So they know who the super volunteers are. So because Mark Kelly was running for re-election, they called me and I met a lady who is the bomb and she works hard. And she's involved in everything and I just love her and everything she had, she brought me to. And so I started motivating the room. And so I started getting asked to come to the democratic functions, to the house parties where candidates were. And I ended up through the process of just showing up, meeting key people. And let me tell you how unique this is, because this is important. We always think we have to make things happen. And I meet people and, you know, engage them. And then one day, Mark Kelly decided to show up there and I met his uh, advanced person and his communications director because I was out front and they didn't want people coming in. I just, you know, I do what I do. I've been in PR. So um, I met all of them. And then Barack came to Phoenix and one of the house parties I went to, somebody met me and I got invited to go up to Phoenix on a plane. I'm not going to go into the details of it. And so the person whose plane it was actually was the founder of Arizona List. And all I can say is I only got to do that because I did a talk at a house party. And the next month they invited me to be on the board. All of this fell in front of me. All of this fell in front. I had no interest, no intention, no plan, no political agenda. No, I do this, you do that. And it emerged to be something that I can be very helpful with for a number of reasons. I'm a really good high-level fundraising professional, uh, which is very intimidating to some people, mm -hmm. but won't be intimidating in this scenario. And, and so level of satisfaction with your life at this point, um, as you talk about it with the energy that you do talk about, it, right? Uh -huh. It feels like all the cells of your body are in alignment with each other. What a pleasurable feeling that must be. Actually, um, I don't I don't think all the cells in my body are alive. I feel that I have a sense of contentment, a sense of peace that is so within me and is so foundational that. I don't have to worry. I have faith. Faith is being sure of what you hope for in the absence of what you cannot see. I, I am a faithful person. And I tell people, I believe in things that are unseen because of that. So I don't know everything. There's this letting go because of my faith that allows me to, to navigate life and know, Andrea, it is not easy. It is not boom, boom, boom. You know, you check this box, you check this box, and then you become this. Uh-uh. Faith is so almost ephemeral, but not really. I went and got faith verses from the Bible. Okay. And this is the one that I don't know you might want. It's from uh, Psalm 24, 4. And it goes, it's supposed to be a teachable path. That's what this subject of this particular verse is. Show me your ways, oh God. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truths. 
and teach me. For you are God, my savior. In other words, my source. My hope is in you all day long. And I would say all life long. The only reason I can be the girl I am today is because of who I have become. I, I, this is not something boxes you check. You decide you're going to have a rule of life formed me to be who I am. It taught me a relationship with God. I got it. I read and I know it taught me the things that God wanted me to know. He says, live it out. So I have holy moments all the time. I had a holy moment yesterday coming out of Pilates when a friend I had lunch with had been, was just trying to find her path, her way. And she was stalled and she didn't know what to do. And I just said some words. I can't even remember what they were. She looked at me and said, oh my God, what you just said is everything I needed to hear today. It's the path set before you. It's a blessing to be in this season of life and to know that every moment will not be easy, but every moment will be okay because it is what it is. And it's just a moment. The good and the bad, they come and they go. This is an excellent, excellent delivery words uh so inspirational uh to sort of bring this to a conclusion kind of bring this down towards the end because you have so much to share you have so much wisdom within you you have a life's journey that you've lived you have your faith um and that is wonderful one wonderful example for people who are searching for the answers who are searching for the truth you are able to deliver that as an example thank you it is the peace it is the peace that passes all understanding well i say this has been a very inspirational day oh i'm glad i'm so thankful for that i'm glad i'm glad I want to give you a phraseology that I put at the top of a resume that defines kind of how I walk in this space. Okay. It says to be significant by using my everyday life to bring about positive change in the lives of others and to make a difference daily wherever I am and with whomever I am with the path set before me. Thank Lovely. you. Thank, Thank you, you for being our friend. Thank you. It's a gift to me, my dear. God bless you guys, you lovely ladies. Have a fabulous day. Thank you. And continue and you being well. lovely because that's who you are. <laughs> Thank you. Back at you. Bye. Back at you. All right. Bye, bye for now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by Boom Talk Media. Our little books that we call Reliefletts includes the title Relief from Worrying, Small Ideas with Big Benefits for All of Us. You can find this tiny guidebook on our website. Visit boomtalkmedia.com or search on Amazon under Relief from Worrying. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you think. Reach out to us through info at boomtalkmedia.com.
And there we have it. Should she be, should she be a minister? Should she stand in front of a congregation? Yes. What's interesting is that it, it makes the book richer by bringing stories of various types, right? Whether you're a Christian or a Jew or atheist or anybody, uh, how you see your path, how your path unfolds. So, I mean, it's so good to have that and uh, to include that, to be inclusive, as you said, in the beginning. And the other part is that I found it interesting how she was deflecting in a nice way, but she was deflecting the value that she brings to the path because it's all God-given. It's all laid out before her, right? The process of how spirituality works, because I happen to know that the fundamental thing about Judaism is a person's very personal relationship with God. And I have known from other Christians as they admire the Judaism part of Christianity, that it's that relationship with God that's so personal that that people notice, you know, I mean, it's still the Old Testament, right? But you know, think about Job and he's like, why, you know, and answer me and, you know, that kind of thing. So the personal relationship with our divinity, to have that relationship, to even conceive of it, gives us, you know, maybe the sustenance, the nurturance, the, the, the potency to continue to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there is that gift guidance uh, idea, right? That certainly, it permeates our existence. Um, but like you were saying, Darrell demurs when it comes to her owning the pieces. Yes, you know. yes. And even though she's able to look back, which she said earlier on, that that's not the way she was thinking about paths in her life when she was living it. It's so true. But now that she's more mature and has experienced more things, she can look back and um, represent it in a current way, in yeah. a new way. Uh, and yet, even in this new way, she's so committed to the idea that she has little, not so much control, but little input, little consequence that she as a person submerges that ability to feel and be because of how God guides. I find that to be interesting. Okay, no. then um, we'll depart now. Okay. 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 Over and out. Over and out. You've heard from us. Now let's hear from you. Please write to us at info at boomtalkmedia.com. That's info at boomtalkmedia.com. Until next time. Thank you.